My guest today unpacks one thing that I found every great coach that makes an impact on their market, their niche, their industry has done an exceptional job of graduating themselves into, which can only be found typically after having a lot of reps on the field with clients. Nihar Chaya is the founder of partnerexec.com and an executive leadership coach to elite CEOs, leaders, vice presidents around the world, clientele like Raytheon, Coca-Cola, Corn Ferry, and many other really big companies. He's a very impressive guy who I think you'll find has an incredible level of emotional intelligence. Enjoy today's episode with Nihar Chaya. Welcome to the UpCoach Podcast for modern coaches and creators with your host, Todd Herman. In 20 minutes or less, our goal is to share one big idea that will transform your coaching and your business. So let's get into today's episode. Nihar, this is going to be a treat. Welcome to the UpCoach Podcast. Thank you, Todd. It's great to be with you today. Before we kick on into that one thing that's made a big impact on your career and the business that you've created for yourself, working with CEOs and C-level suite people, give everyone a little bit of context of who you are, who you work with, and how you even got into this kind of world of coaching and, and leading other people. Sure, Todd. So I'm an executive coach based in Dallas. I've had my own company for about 10 years now. And I started coaching actually on behalf of bigger firms. So I was working with some firms like Corn Ferry with a corporate executive board. And I actually landed in this world largely because I was confused a little bit about my own leadership journey. So I had went to college and graduate school in the 90s and took on the typical kind of financial analyst jobs and strategic consulting and things like that. And then I went to Wharton for business school. And most of my classmates at that point were going to invest in banking or private equity or McKinsey, those kinds of companies. And I really was interested in them, but I also felt like it wasn't really speaking to kind of what my strengths were and what my real kind of passions were, which was around just learning more about people. And so while I had the business acumen, one thing that always stuck with me was, I wonder how this affects the people that are working in companies. And so I found myself almost following the herd into some of these bigger jobs. And then I found that I was struggling to understand politics at work and moving up the, the corporate ladder, if you will. So I hired a coach. And when I got a coach, this was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Wait, 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 before you go on, sorry to interrupt you. You just said that as if, and then I hired a coach. <laughs> There's typically a long gap between someone, because anyone listening as a coach, you know that if you get someone for the first time who's never hired a coach before, that's actually quite rare unless it came through a referral who had a great experience with you. So how long did that take you or how did you even find that coach? Yeah, it's so funny you said that. So I really found it through an alumni connection in my business school. And I will be honest with you, it really wasn't a great coaching relationship. I actually didn't really get much out of it. And I think it was because it was really within the realm of what I'd already done in terms of, hey, here's how you can get a job in this industry. Or it was like the road that's already been traveled in some ways. Gotcha. But what yeah. it really opened my eyes to was more of, of a self-insight job that I needed to do. I needed to reflect more on who I really was. I had never even taken self-assessments like personality tests or Hogan's and things like that. And Actually, that opened my eyes up to a few things, one of which was, oh, this is why I really struggle with highly extroverted things that most of my colleagues are really naturally good at. Or this is why 
I'm going through the motions as it relates to spreadsheets. But what I really struggle with is like the lack of emotional intelligence here, the lack of emotional connection with my colleagues. And I really felt like a fish out of water for so long in my career that when I went through some of the more coaching modalities, I was like, wow, this is really fascinating for my own career development. But then I started thinking about how cool would it be to actually have these kind of conversations with other people in my workplace? And it started to gravitate where people would actually talk to me about their own issues at work. And I found myself way more interested in that than just doing the next PowerPoint presentation or the next business review. And what really happened was that I, I think this goes back to the idea I'm going to share with you, which is I'm naturally someone who is always self-evaluating, <laughs> almost to my detriment. It creates a little bit of anxiety, a lot of self-doubt. But it's also, it's like that Dunning-Kruger effect. Because I actually care a lot and probably know a lot, I'm super doubtful of what I know. It's almost like I wish I was a little bit more oblivious to things. But because I'm constantly thinking about this, I really said to myself, I need to find a way to get out of my comfort zone here and build something that's newer in my a new path in my career. And what happened was I started looking around to who does coaching in the world. And this is where I ran across some corporate firms like PDI was the firm that was acquired by Corn Ferry, which I joined in 2009. But essentially, I started working with organizational psychologists. And I'm not a psychologist by background. But what was interesting was they said, hey, we're looking for more MBAs to be able to provide some business background with our clients. We can teach you and maybe you can teach us. And so that kind of moved me into the world of talent development and coaching. And then eventually I started my own company. Before we kick on into the one thing, do you think that when you were at Wharton and you saw the pathways of some of your other peers that were going into investment banking or private equity or what have you, but you didn't feel like that's what you wanted to go and do, even though you might have, you said, followed the herd in some way. Yeah. Was some of that also because do you think that maybe you had a little bit more of an entrepreneurial mindset? Like how well, it's funny because you're in executive coaching, so you can probably operate very well inside of corporate environments. But me, for example, like I would be a terrible employee inside because I would break so much stuff because they want stability, right? And I'm far more innovative in my thinking and they're stabilizing companies, not disruptive companies, even though a lot of people use disruptor and we're disruptive and stuff, but really inside of their talent pools, they really don't want that much. So long story segue, but do you think someone was maybe because you had a little bit of an entrepreneurial type kind of presence with yourself? I think you've encapsulated perfectly. Yes, exactly that. And what's really sad about it when I look back is I never knew that. I, instead, I thought that I was the one not fitting in. And because coming out of these schools, you know, all you're confronted with is you better go apply for these jobs. You better get those two-year analyst associate jobs that are torture, but they'll set you up for the future. And it's funny because now, like 20 years out, I look at a lot of people who are regretting that they went in, down that road. They might be financially successful, but they haven't really found the real thing that makes them sing. And it's interesting to see about how many people want to actually go into coaching now too, because they're realizing that, wow, maybe I lacked a lot of the connection that I was looking for in those jobs. Because it really was a factory of the same kind of work. But you touched on it perfectly, which is I didn't really realize that I had an entrepreneurial gene. My dad is a doctor. My mom was a computer scientist. But actually, later on, I found out that it's true. My dad actually had his own practice. My mom had her own kind of interests outside of work. And it really was that thing where as an Asian American, I think growing up, first-generation American, you wanted to not stick out. 
So you followed what everybody else needed to do out of safety. In reality, once I stuck out a little bit on my own, I was like, wow, this is actually the thing that makes me feel great is the autonomy that I really needed all along. That's great. And then I think it bears fruit because that pathway that you took, it's obvious why you've had such the level of success that you've had. I mean, you take a look at the, when I was doing research on yourself, like the roster of clientele that you've had come in is super impressive. So getting to this now, one thing I would love to hear into the listener. Sometimes I know what someone's one thing is because we've talked about it beforehand because they like, hey, this is my one thing. What do you think? But I like being surprised so that we can just have a conversation as well. So I don't know what Nihar's one thing is, but I'm ready to hear it now. Yeah. I really was thinking a lot about this. And I think really what it comes down to is stepping out of my own comfort zone in the service of the client. What I found was that over the many years of learning to be a coach, I found that on one hand, you can get very comfortable thinking that you're the consultant in the room. You're the one that has to have all the answers. And I found that, as you saw in my background, I do work with senior executives at these bigger companies, American Airlines, Raytheon, things like that. And a lot of these business leaders, they don't really know what they don't know. They focus on the logical aspects of business. So it's very easy for coaching conversations to kind of stay in the realm of, okay, here's what you need to do to increase revenue. Here's what you need to do to decrease costs, et cetera. And while you can stay in that area, I found that I wasn't really serving the client in terms of transformative insight building. I had to evaluate myself. What am I doing here in terms of really moving the needle for them? And so even moving from questions like, what do you want to do in the next quarter to who do you need to be able to achieve those things? How do you need to show up? They're basic coaching questions, but a lot of times I found myself unwilling to go there with certain leaders where I felt as if they might think it's too fluffy or they might think it's too soft. Another example is where I've pride myself on being a very non-judgmental coach. Like I'd like to meet my clients where they are and really not bring any of my advice giving or my view on it. But I would find every now and then that we would be playing in a little bit of a complacency place where, okay, I'm letting you be who you are, but we're really not serving the clients toward their higher potential. So that almost was on me to be able to sit there and say, I could be really way off here, but are we not doing something that you really need to be doing? Or should we be turning up the heat here? And for me, that's actually not really a natural thing to do. A big idea for me was really about saying to myself that if I expect my client to really step out of their comfort zone, I could also be willing to do that as well. And that creates more intimacy and, and trust for us as well. The way that you unpacked it, it maps to just being in this space for 27 years and working with helping other people build thought leader or coaching practices, even though that was never, I didn't really build a business doing that. It's just you know the nature of it when you build and sell multiple businesses in this space, people come to you with like, hey, how'd you do it? And I love the world of coaching and I'll never stop being inside of it. But you see this where there's a kind of inflection point that you unpacked where you finally start to sit in your confidence as a coach which then allows you to then start to challenge more. And I say like, in the world of coaching, there's really only three things you need to be great at. And that's encouragement. I think most coaches are natural encouragers because they're natural people. Like even when you unpack the challenges that you were having at Wharton is like, well, I'm really more interested on the people side, the human side of this, the human performance side of this, the talent side of this. So encouragement is very, I think it comes very natural for coaches. And then the third one would be around that of, progress, always feeding back a loop of, hey, like you are getting better. You might not be noticing it in your results, but behaviorally, you're doing the things. Mentally, you're thinking different questions now. You're looking at things different, all that. But the second one is the one where I think most people under-index, especially early in their careers, and that's accountability. 
That's the challenging part of things. To your point of holding someone accountable to the transformation they want to make and not just allowing them to coast through their own, especially like yourself, you're working with people that are extremely successful levels of corporate careers. If you don't sit in like your own know-how, then it can be difficult to challenge. Yes, yes. I completely agree with that. So for you then, you finding that one thing of really owning your confidence, I guess, in many ways. How else does that show up for you then in the way that you work with clients or challenge them? Is there any blowback that happens when you do lean in on people? It's interesting. So I'd say confidence is one aspect of that in certain situations, but even in moments where I'm very confident, I think the area of leaning out of the comfort zone is actually in being able to keep reevaluating of what is valuable for the client. So I'll give you a perfect example. A lot of times I'm coaching clients where they've never been coached before. And so you can fall into that kind of coaching conversation of you're asking lots of good questions. And sometimes clients will be like, okay, where are we going with this? What's the deal with all the questions? And what I realized, and by the way, a lot of the coaching schools will frown upon this idea that don't be a consultant, don't lead them to a certain area. You got to keep it really open-ended. But I actually disagree a little bit with that because... And I completely agree with your disagreement. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, because what I find is that a lot of times what clients are really looking for is, what's the purpose of this questioning? Where are we going? And so a lot of times what I will end up having to do is first of all, getting a little bit of their buy-in on the process. Hey, do you even want to work on this? And are we even on the right topic? Because, and again, that takes me having to notice that because they might not even know what they don't know. But me being able to call it out I might even be more noticing of a certain nonverbal. I might find that they're dropping in their energy and I need to be able to call that out. Or for instance, I might explain to people that, hey, this isn't about me coaching you on changing how you listen or how you show up in communication. The best practices around this particular area in your industry apply to this as well. This is why CEOs pretty much do better in this situation or whatever it might be. So offering some kind of also objective criteria that they can latch on to that's not really coaching, but it is in the service of the client. And so I think it's about also just constantly having that voice in my own mind saying, is this really offering as much value to this client? Or am I just trying to adhere too much to one kind of model or one style? I think another way of looking at it too that I share with people is it's about knowing how to frame things properly when you're with clients so that they can look through whatever that window is that you're bringing them through with the right attitude. Because if you can't align them mentally, emotionally, and physically, behaviorally to whatever it is you're trying to pull them through, then they're not going to get very good results because they're going to avoid things because they're not going to think it's that important. right? So the framing, and that's why to your point, and I disagree very much so with some of the schools that teach you that no, coaching is about pulling the content because really coaching is about pulling the content out of someone. okay? But Phil Stutz is someone that I really admire in what he did in the world of therapy and psychiatry, psychology. And he was largely criticized and critiqued by his own industry because he was of the opinion, no, we shouldn't just be asking these people who come and sit on my couch and lay down just questions and then write down our thoughts on it. If they're in a struggle and I have a tool for them that can help them get out of that struggle, I need to give it to them. So there is advising, there is consulting that's there. And even in a a past interview, we were talking about this and the same thing came up. Someone from exactly another person who does leadership coaching said, yeah, I think it's extremely 
self-serving to not offer some sort of advice to people. And this world of coaching now does start to evolve into there's elements of consulting that gets in long or mentoring and advising. Like if you've been to the top of the mountain, now you're mentoring people. If you've been there, now you can tell. By the way, avoid that gap over there. There's no need to go over that area. So I completely agree that it's not just about unpacking someone's content. If you can offer something to someone or steer them on the right track, then you do that. And you know, speaking of the entrepreneurial journey, as you talked about, a lot of times there's a dichotomy between selling your coaching and actually doing the coaching, the delivering. And a lot of times, as I mentioned, sometimes my clients don't really know what coaching involves. And so if you just jump right into it and start having these kind of inquisitive conversations, they're not really there. On the other hand, if you actually just talk about coaching as if, hey, you can get all these kind of benefits and you'll get promoted by next year and this and that, that's not really also anything different than the typical kind of marketing jargon out there. So I always find going back to like the big idea for me, it's I have to be constantly on. I don't have to be talking a lot. I don't have to be the one dominating, but I have to be mentally on. I can't be passive in my own kind of complacency as a coach because what I find is that when I actually say to myself, you need to step in a little bit here, then it changes the dynamic a lot with people. And I found that in moments, it can be easy to say, maybe I just won't even go down that road because it's going to be a little bit awkward. But when I do, it generally pays off for both of us. Do you feel like when you're in that because now you're a decade into your private career, but you were doing coaching for several years before when you were inside the, in the corporate sphere. Do you feel like now you have almost that out-of-body kind of coach that's sitting outside of you saying, hey, here's a moment to lean in? Like, Have you found that for yourself? Yeah, completely. And I think it really took me having to be on my own that long to be able to develop that. Even within the confines of a company, there's moments where you might say, I'm doing not as well, but nobody's really going to know. Whereas for me, it really is about reputation building. It is about being the kind of business leader that I want to be for my own company. But just like anything else, there's that feeling of, what if I don't have business next year? What if all of a sudden it dries up? I never want to take any shortcuts. I don't want to be in a situation where I'm like, I'll give you a perfect example. There are some clients, maybe you've experienced this too, you just know that they're not really the coachable kind. They're not really the best client to have because you can tell that they're probably not there yet. And There's only so much you can drag them along. And I've never wanted to be that coach that's going to just say, it's a client, so let me just add it to my portfolio. But there are moments where you keep thinking as a coach, maybe I can help them. Maybe I can get there. Maybe I can just frame it differently. And I think to your point, having that kind of, now I'm able to look at myself and say, with enough of a track record to say, you've been down this road before, you know how the movie ends. This is not going to be something that's going to change at this point. And trust that because, and be able to walk away if that's necessary. Now, have you ever leaned on people and expressed and said, Nihar, I've been down this road before. I know the characteristics of someone who's extremely coachable. You're not displaying many of those characteristics. I have. And it's, it's a little bit, I get apprehensive sometimes doing that because again, within my clients, we're within bigger companies. So a lot of times there's the potential that they could decide to smear how my coaching approach was within the other people that I could potentially work with. I never like it to get contentious. But what I have realized was that if I let that linger, then it becomes more of a stain on us, on the coaching relationship. And I think it's like anything else. If you leave a little bit early, you're able to at least preserve the fact that, hey, listen, we tried, but this spy isn't going to be in the best benefit for each of us. 
Yeah. And so to anyone listening, like I'm not saying that there's only one way to go about that challenging part of things because the other side is also, there's moments where I would say, because I have said those words to people, like just flat out, you are not demonstrating the characteristics of someone who's actually coachable. But then there's other people who would be demonstrating those characteristics necessarily, but I'll say, are you actually getting anything out of this experience with me? Because you know that there's other people out there that might be a better fit for you. Because sometimes like how I would show up with a client and what they need at that particular moment in time is something different. Or they don't need even, let's say, because my lens is performance coaching. I don't think you need performance coaching right now. I think you need marital coaching because that's actually your biggest source of consternation in your life. And while I know a lot of great frameworks, like I keep myself on, I keep the bumpers down on the bowling alley. And I think a lot of coaches need to learn this is stay in your lane. You can't call yourself a life coach and then think that you can coach someone on everything that's going on in their life. No one has that capacity. That's right. I think it's so important to be able to know what you can't do or what you're not going to be as effective doing. And I've learned that as well. Like I realized, for instance, that I am probably better coaching people who are at the VP and up level just because I I have more experience in that. And also I just find that the problems that they're dealing with are things that I have a little bit more maybe wisdom on based on my work. But there's a lot of work that's out there with the early career folks, individual contributors, and first-time managers. And there's so many great coaches that do that work. So what I also recognized was, okay, this is where I can actually help tie, align you up with better coaches that can do it. But it does take that wisdom to be, or at least that discipline to be able to sit back and say, okay, this is, like you said, this is my lane and I'm going to stay in, in that lane to be effective. Let's end it there. That was great. I love these conversations with someone who's now got quite a bit of experience coming in and you came through a, a different pathway than I probably did and maybe some of the other people that have listened to. But before we head off, where can people go to learn more about you and your work and your home base on the interwebs? First off, thank you so much, Todd, for having me. As I mentioned, I'm a big fan of yours, so it's really an honor to be here with you. My website is partnerexec.com, P-A-R-T-N-E-R-E-X-E-C.com. And if you just want to add a slash in news, so partnerexec.com slash news, that's my newsletter. And I have every Monday, I send out a newsletter to about 14,000 people right now about best practices in leadership and really stories that, that come out of my coaching. Any of your listeners want to sign up, uh, it's free and would love to stay in touch. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much. Can't wait to stay in touch and have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks, Todd. Thanks for listening to the UpCoach podcast with your host, Todd Herman. I hope you got a lot of value from today's episode. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast so you get notified when we drop our next episode every week. Just type in the UpCoach podcast in the search and click the subscribe button on your favorite listening platform. And a review, a little snar rating, wouldn't hurt. And finally, all the show notes, tips, links shared, and the transcript is over at upcoach.com slash podcast, where you can also get your free trial for our modern transformation platform, specifically built for coaches and creators that care. The UpCoach podcast is produced by our friends at Ventures FM. Now that's all for this episode. We'll see you next time. And of course, keep on coaching.